Hello, everybody. Welcome to welcome back to the Range Extender podcast. And um, last time we had an episode, we went over twenty nine potential trades for Ben Simmons, just seeing uh, seeing and working through where he could possibly end up uh, after. I mean, his his pretty disastrous playoff performance, and then we went into a season in review. So um, now that we've reviewed the full. 2021 NBA season. Let's look ahead to the 2022 um, NBA season. So on this podcast, we're going to just go over the off season and give our predictions for this upcoming season. And we're going to combine the two. So as we're going off our predictions for certain teams, I'm going to uh, be discussing that team's off season. So. I feel like as most off-seasons tend to reflect, the landscape of the league pretty much changes from one summer break to the next. And I, I would argue that clearly the 2021 off-season has been no different. Uh, the draft, and both the draft and the free agency, has been a great vehicle to give hope to some teams and give despair to others. Um, with major players off the table now and a few notable free agents left, um, most teams have their books set for the foreseeable future. Um, just a few remaining free agents that are the most notable are Laurie Markinen or Paul Millsap. And what's interesting to me is that is the fact that Markinen hasn't even been able to find a single team like willing to sign him at all unless he's not getting the salary he wants. Uh, I feel like it's definitely bit of a conflict between the two parties, player and team, where Markkinen was denied his, uh, his extension by the Bulls. Yeah, this rookie extension should be where he begins to make his first hint of money if he's the type of player he thinks he is. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like teams are willing to choke up enough cash for him, especially since he's shown that he's a pretty hard center to fit into a team. So, um, as is as this offseason goes on, Markkanen is probably the biggest free agent left on the table and probably the most interesting case study to see uh, with players of his mold as the years go on. Um, so at the end of Summer League, there's around two months between now and opening night, and it's safe to say that these predictions might not change that much during the league's quiet months. So I think this is a pretty safe time to go for it. Not only that, but um, through these predictions, um, hopefully we can just start to get a sense of how this next season is going to look like. Um, So with the NBA's move to keep this play-in format in the uh, 2021-22 season, um, the league will continue to stress the importance of making serious decisions regarding the timeline of a roster, where in years past, uh, teams may have been more incentivized to stay mediocre uh, take that lottery loss if they can, but now with the playing tournament, I feel like it's at least encouraging teams to uh, figure out where exactly they plan to be, because if you're a good team who just happens to fall into the 10th seed, you can work your way into the playoffs, but then if you're a young squad, Maybe you make a run for the eighth seed and get bounced out in the first round. Then you don't have a lottery pick. 
I think that's definitely something that a general manager doesn't want to see. It's pretty conflicting because on one hand, you want the best odds to get the best players. But on the other hand, you want to be able to progress the group that you have. So it's, I mean, it's definitely a tricky situation. Um, and after uh, another thing um, in these standings, I think one thing has become somewhat pleasantly clear. And that is um, the Eastern Conference is deeper than it's been in a long time. For over a decade, analysts have attributed the East uh, the reputation of being a very weak conference. But it definitely appears that the ties have changed. So without further ado, let's get into the predictions. So, um, so our predicted Eastern Conference standings, um, seeds 1 through eight, uh, 15 in order. We have the Nets at 1. Then the Bucks, the Heat, the Sixers, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Boston Celtics, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Pacers, the Cavs, the Raptors, and then at 14 and 15, the Pistons, and then the Magic. So, um, with the Nets, uh, I just feel like this team, I feel like it's definitely widely believed that had the Nets not been riddled with... Uh, just a bunch of injuries throughout the 2021 season, they would have won the championship. The Nets clearly made it uh, made it deeper in the playoffs and nearly made it to the conference finals if it wasn't for Kevin Durant's um, unfortunate shot, <laughs> unfortunate game-dying shot where his toe was just barely on the three-point line, which sent the game to overtime instead of ending it. And this Game 7 loss to Milwaukee came with Durant serving as the only healthy member of um, the Brooklyn Nets big three, that be Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. And Harden was visibly limping throughout the entire game, was nothing like his former self, and Kyrie Irving sat on the bench. So given the occurrences of this previous season, Durant, Irving, and the ringless Harden will likely uh, try and seek vengeance this year. Aside from a determined superstar core, the Nets have also found a way to clean up the edges and form a well-fitting group that have their sights on the title. The introduction of Patty Mills and Cam Thomas to the group provides some unique secondary shot creation that will aid the Stars when they take a break or if they have some injuries throughout the season. Patty Mills just came off an amazing Olympics run, and uh, Cam Cam Thomas Cam Thomas showed some serious promise in summer league. He might not get as much minutes at the start that he might hope for. But, I mean, as we've seen in the summer league, this guy is pretty much a certified bucket. And, I, I mean, that pretty much translates anywhere. So he'll he'll be fine in the league as long as he fixes his uh, – I mean, as long as he somewhat fixes the way he plays on the court as like a teammate and stuff like that, where he might take some ill-advised shots now and again. But I think the Nets is a great situation for him to be in where he can't really afford to make those mistakes because he just just won't play. Um, the off-ball role players such as Joe Harris, Blake Griffin, will continue to complement the three-headed monster. And their offensive firepower is, I mean, pretty much unparalleled. The only things that can really detriment this team uh, this season are injuries and a lack of development such as uh, from young players such as Nick, Nick Claxton, and then um, as the older players like DeAndre Jordan further regress, players like Claxton um, and as, as well as Cam Thomas are going to need to step up further. 
In the second seed, we have Milwaukee Bucks, who are the reigning champions. And as the reigning champions, they plan to come back with a force. And, I mean, they plan to defend their title. After sitting at the top of the mountain, Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks will not go down again without a fight. Will not go down again because they didn't go down at all last season, but they will not go down without a fight this season. This Bucks team is largely the same. Um, Dante DiVincenzo makes his line has returned to the lineup though. At some point, George Hill is finally back uh, um, on the roster after one year with the Sixers to give some desperately needed playmaking off the bench. And then Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale hopefully will make a strong effort to revive their falling stock. Uh, I feel like they kind of have a chip on their shoulder. This team, uh, this entire team, may come back with even a greater chip on their shoulder. uh, striving to prove that their title run wasn't just a fluke. Obviously, with all the injuries and then facing the Hawks in the conference finals, you know, people were talking about whether or not this title will have an asterisk, and so I think the Bucs are going to come back just as hungry to repeat as they were in the finals trying to get their first championship. Um, It's pretty difficult to see the Bucs drop down anywhere in the standings past the third seed, barring any major catastrophe. And they certainly should be confident in their prospects this season. Um, so at the third seed, we have the Miami Heat. After a very eventful offseason, this Heat team uh, perhaps might have the most outs- uh, upside out of any team in the Eastern Conference. They added players who perfectly matched the famous Heat culture with the uh, scrappy Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, and Markeith Morris. And I feel like they'll fit right into their new homes. I feel like there's still some major room for improvement off the bench, though. And, I mean, one can only hope that Summer League standouts Max Strauss and Omer Utes can find their way into meaningful minutes um, where they can fill the voids of Precious Achua and Trevor Reza. Assuming Oladipo makes a speedy and effective recovery, that he could potentially have an extremely dangerous rotation of rugged and hard-nosed players willing to outrun and out-hustle their opponents. Uh, for Oladipo, I don't. I think it was said that he might make his return around, I think it was around the All-Star break, similar to Clay Thompson, or no, actually, uh, Clay Thompson's coming back in December, but the, it's pretty tricky for Oladipo. He signed a minimum contract, so, I mean, this is obviously going to be another contract year for him where he's going to need to prove himself, and hopefully he can come back with that strong desire to win and have great production with the Heat team. So I think this team also has a chip on their shoulder just because I feel like a lot of teams in the East have a chip on their shoulder, to be honest. I don't think there's a team in the East that at this moment doesn't have something to prove. And I feel like the Heat team is not really any different because uh, they want to prove that their finals appearance wasn't just part of the bubble. And so with Oladipo coming back, I feel like he'll fit right into that mentality. Um, And then, yeah, after an even more disappointing first-round exit, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are going to have to look to speed up the integration process of their new pieces and laser focus into contender mode almost immediately. The major players on this Heat team all excel on the defensive end, and so an opposing player is going to have to work through potentially Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and then Bam Adebayo to score, which is an extremely tiresome task. This This is a really switchable, rangy group that... To be honest, I feel like they all fit extremely well together. I think I'm definitely a lot higher on the Heat than anyone else after this Kyle Lowry trade, but I just love the move. 
that they made to get him. I feel like he fits right in and kind of gives them exactly what they need. Um, this Heat team definitely has interesting potential to maybe even surge higher than the third seed if Tyler Hero uh, continues to improve, but uh, maybe this team could even make another finals run if the stars align. Now, moving on to the fourth seed, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, before I start, um, I feel like this is just dependent on if they can move Ben Simmons for a strong piece like a Bradley Beal or a Damian Lillard or something of that nature. But um, unfortunately for the Sixers, as they remain stagnant, the rest of the East improved around them uh, with the postseason fall from grace by meaning uh, losing to Atlanta in the second round. The 76ers easily have the most approved out of any team in the East at this point. After the departure of Jimmy Butler, the focus shifted to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid together rather than Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler. Uh, however, with Embiid posting an MVP caliber season and an impressive postseason, the untimely disappearance of Ben Simmons threw him into the fire of the, inter- of the internet, and the Twitter scrutiny was pretty ruthless for him. And I feel like at this point, honestly, Simmons been highly underrated because of everybody just saying he's trash and everything like that. I think Simmons is a pretty pretty talented player, especially on a defensive end. And I just think if he works to be more aggressive on offense, and especially in a half-court setting, he can seriously rise to a very elite status. Um, I mean, obviously Simmons' name has been in countless trade rumors. The general manager, Daryl Morey, is asking place might be too high, and that's why we haven't seen any trade quite yet. Simmons has barely spoken to the team since the conclusion of the season, and I feel like things could go either one of two ways. Simmons could return to Philadelphia as the player they want him to be, shooting threes, actively participating in half-court sets, uh, maybe making decisions on his own with the ball, or uh, he's going to be traded elsewhere. This unresolved turmoil within the 76ers organization likely means they won't be as competitive as they were perceived to be entering the 2021 postseason. Ben Simmons is still a special player and a world-class defender, but some wounds will likely never heal. It seems that his partnership with Joel Embiid is over and Simmons will be sent elsewhere. Simmons' saga will likely drag into midseason and perhaps a trade deadline, though. So the 76ers record will likely suffer as they take an extended look into a potential pivot. To quickly note, the signing of Andre Drummond is a pretty curious one. Um, the former All-NBA player moves to a six-man role on a minimum contract, despite the fact that he's pretty much in the prime of his career. Uh, even though the market for traditional centers is uh, uh, dried up, especially for people like Drummond here, it's fascinating to see that this was the decision he made. Regardless, though, the 76ers will not be able to move forward as long as Ben Simmons is on the roster. Um, what's pretty interesting about the Drummond signing is that I feel like he probably, I mean, if he's going to go anywhere on a minimum contract, why not the Bucks? Why not go back to the Lakers? Why not go to the Nets where they might actually be able to use you? Um, I don't really know why he would go for a backup role unless there was just absolutely no team willing to even look his way. Um, because, I, you know what, he probably did want to go to the Bucks, to the Lakers, to the Nets. He already made his money. Maybe he wants to win a championship. 
I mean, and I think that was pretty clear by him signing with the Lakers after a buyout with the Cavaliers. But it's just crazy to see that the best he could get on a contender was a six-man role. I like, I hope he wins six-man of the year. But to be honest, I I don't know what's going to happen to him. Uh, moving on to the fifth spot, we have the Atlanta Hawks setting up another a 4-5 matchup between the Hawks and the Sixers which is going to be a great series if it actually goes down. Um, I feel like the Hawks were one of the multiple fairy tale stories of the 21 season. With the emergence of Trey Young as a winning player, this roster runs deep with talent. Uh, after re-signing John Collins, the Hawks seem to have improved from the previous season. They added Gorgie Dang, DeLon Wright, and they additionally drafted Sharif Cooper and Jalen Johnson. The Hawks will definitely anticipate the return of DeAndre Hunter, and as Danilo Gallinari begins to age over the next few years, this plethora, plethora of young wings likely means that maybe McMillan will have his pick of the litter for uh, uh, for replacements if things go awry soon. This team should be especially fun for McMillan due to the sheer versatility of the roster. I mean, there's it seems like there's an infinite number of lineups that you can make with this team, and at any moment the Hawks could play any style that would best counter their opponent. This team graced the fifth seed in the previous season, but the rise of the Heat, I would say at this point, prohibits them from rising uh, any further than the fifth seed. No disrespect to this team, though, but I feel like um, I feel like their playoffs uh, run in the previous season was real. Obviously, I mean, when I said no disrespect, I mean no disrespect as in like putting them in the fifth seed. I I think they're here to stay. Um. Although this team is so young, so the volatility of their chemistry and their play is probably high. They're going to have high highs. They're going to have low lows. But it's all just about weathering the storm and having more highs than lows. But I think this team has probably the most potential to rise but an even greater potential to fall. Our sixth seed is the New York Knicks. After shocking the world <laughs> with an almost like miraculous playoff berth, the Knicks finally gained the free agent desirability that uh, they've been chasing for years. And, I mean, all it took was one winning season just to prove that the Knicks were worth going to. Uh, adding Kevin Walker and M. Fournier to the Knicks, the Knicks pretty much now have an abundance of scoring threats to hang around Julius Randle. Randle more than doubled his assists per game uh, from the previous season, averaging a six each night. And with the possible ascension of R.J. Bear and the addition of those new weapons, uh, the most improved player in Julius Randle could easily repeat his All-NBA season. Hopefully, Kemba Walker can stay healthy this year and play like the All-NBA player he once was. But um, if so, the Knicks could even possibly shoot up the standings and be even more competitive than the previous year if uh, some defenders on opposing teams have other important assignments besides Randle. Um, if things fail and Barrett doesn't rise, uh, maybe Fournier becomes an inefficient defensive liability and Walker can't stay on the court. Teams like the Celtics or the Bulls will greatly benefit and uh, probably work their way up higher than, than the Knicks will. Um, unfortunately, to the to the chagrin of uh, Chicago Bulls fans, you're probably wondering, like, when are they going to come up here? Uh, my seventh seed is the Chicago Bulls. Uh, after bringing in DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, and Alex Caruso, I feel like uh, Trey Kirby would definitely agree with me here and say that the Bulls are officially back. 
Uh, it's yet to be seen what they're going to do with Laurie Marketing, but Chicago's definitely sacrificed uh, the growth of the young players in exchange for short-term success. Now, wandering through no man's land is something um, I, myself, and uh, the rest of Sideline Club Media will never approve of. The Bulls will definitely be a fun team to monitor, despite what I would consider to be an impending doom around the corner. However, I mean, it could be seen that these new additions may stymie the growth of players like Kobe White and Patrick Williams. They could actually potentially force them into roles they may have been predestined for already, and these moves could just make them realize it earlier on. Um, Since his rookie season, Kobe White appeared destined for somewhat of a six-man role, and so he might thrive along Lonzo Ball when Zach Levine takes a break from the action. As for Williams, he's fortunate enough to be paired with four willing playmakers in Ball, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic. Ball, a great, um, great transition playmaker. Levine, decent half-court playmaker. DeRozan, half-court playmaker. Vucevic is an excellent half-court playmaker and somewhat of an offensive hub as a big man. And so with four like willing passers around him who also take such gravity uh, with the ball on offense and their scoring, Williams can uh, focus on finding shots when he can get them and sort of fitting himself into the roster as well as locking down opposing wings. Uh, I feel like the fit on this team is a bit questionable in terms of spot-up shooting. I, there's definitely something exciting about them. As much as other teams have potential to rise and fall in the standings, I think the Bulls definitely may see themselves upsetting a team or even two in the playoffs with their new fast pace and pass-happy offense. The success of this team likely lies in the shooting ability of Lonzo, Patrick Williams, and DeRozan, though, because I think spacing is going to be the most important thing for this Bulls team as they look to open up driving lanes. I think for Lonzo especially, Shooting is going to be really important because he has shown that he can be a willing and effective shooter. Um, after coming in from UCLA, his jump shot was broken. I mean, it was basically like a sideways trebuchet shot. He couldn't hit anything. But as the years have gone on in his career, he's definitely become much better. And so, um, I mean, if, if he signed for four years of $82 million, you know, uh, the Bulls are definitely going to want him to be able to shoot a little bit more. Um, next up is the Boston Celtics. Brad Stevens' transition from head coach to executive might not have been as smooth as Celtics fans would have wanted, but to be honest, his offseason wasn't really all that terrible. Um, they just didn't really do much. Um, and you know what, as long as they hold on to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I feel like things will be okay. But it definitely seems like the walls of what once was is crumbling down in Boston. Um, And as the memories of Irving, Hayward, and Isaiah Thomas fade away, their memories convert into the ghosts of Celtics' past. Um, And so Al Horford returning, Josh Richardson coming in and immediately getting extended, and Dennis Schroeder, uh, these guys can merely attempt to fill that void. And so I feel like for the Celtics team, the truth is, unless either Tatum or Brown uh, take another step into the brink of the MVP conversation, there's definitely a lot of moves that need to be made to bring this roster uh, roster back to their former glory. My ninth seed is the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, This Hornets team were one of the young, fun, bright spots. 
of the 2021 season. They have a bunch of high flyers like Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington. So rookie LaMelo Ball last season had a lot of threats to throw his famously flashy passes to. It's likely that the Hornets would have to have a better position in the or would have had a better position in the playoffs if Gordon Hayward and Lonzo or LaMelo Ball um, didn't miss time due to various injuries. But at this point, the rise of other Eastern Conference teams will probably leave the stagnant Hornets in the dust. As great as Kelly Oubre and UConn rookie James Booknight could be, the additions made by teams surrounding them inhibit this potential growth of this team. But as the years continue to progress, the Hornets definitely have a young core to be pleased with. Um, my 10th seed is the Washington Wizards. After a busy offseason, I mean, the Wizards might have been the most busy, aside from the Bulls this offseason in the Lakers. But this Wizards team prepare themselves for a completely different dynamic than the previous year. Despite the ambitions of the newly acquired Kyle Kuzma, uh, to where he said he wants to be at the Chase and Tatum level, scoring 25 points a game. The additions of him, Montrose Harrell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Davis Caldwell Pope, Aaron Holiday, Corey Kispert, and Isaiah Todd likely not amount to an overall impact greater than that of Russell Westbrook, at least not enough in my opinion to warrant serious praise. So yeah, like I said, unless Kuzma steps into that Jason Tatum role he claims we're waiting for him, Bradley Beal will have another disappointing season in the capital. Now, with Bradley Beal saying that he doesn't want to leave um, Washington ever, and then with Damian Lillard saying he doesn't want to leave Portland just yet, I think there's definitely moves to be made with this Wizards team. I feel like they have somewhat too many guys syndrome, where they have a lot of role players. Something's going to have to give. My prediction would be that, even though they say they really like Tavius Caldwell Pope, I don't know if they're going to play him over Corey Kispert and over Denny Avija. And so I think one of those three is going to play very little minutes this year, whether it is KCP, Denny, or Kispert. I think it's going to be one of them, and my guess would be KCP. I put this team in the 10th seed just in the play-in because I think they definitely have potential to be really solid, but, I mean, nothing spectacular, to be honest. Montres Harrell doesn't, like, Montres Harrell isn't quite what he used to be after the bubble, I just don't think these new guys move the needle that much for them. My 11th seed um, is the Indiana Pacers. I feel like, unfortunately for the Pacers, at this point, being a solid team won't get you as far in the East as it used to. DeMontis Sabonis has frequented the All-Star team multiple times in his young career, but I don't think his impact is quite enough to propel the injury-prone Pacers from topping other playing level teams. After the addition of Torrey Craig, it seems like T.J. Warren won't be making a return anytime soon. So, with his absence, I feel like the Pacers don't really have much hope. But they could definitely rise one or two spots if Brog- uh, Malcolm Brogdon maintains similar production to what he had at the start of the 2021 season. But I feel like that's pretty unlikely. Something interesting to examine with the Pacers going forward is how they might look up to change the roster. Once their season begins to take shape, the Pacers are pretty well known for retooling rather than rebuilding. And so, even though they may continue to lose, they might want to continue to run steady instead of tear it down. Um, my 12th seeded team in the East is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, the Cavs have a pretty great young starting lineup. Uh, emphasis on the young. They have a great starting lineup. They have a great young starting lineup with Darius Garland, 
Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and then Jared Allen. Um, to be honest, I'm a little confused about the fit between Mobley and Allen. Um, if Mobley, like uh, what we saw in Summer League, Mobley is a, I mean, showing flashes of excellent perimeter defense, paint defense, playmaking, post-touch. Um, he definitely has the potential to be greater than Jared Allen. But at the four spot, I know there's positionless basketball now. Positions don't really matter and everything, but I just don't think he's a good four if Jared Allen is your five. I don't think at this moment in time, Evan Mobley provides enough spacing to really supplement the lack of shooting that Jared Allen has. And um, to be honest, I feel like teams are going to be really willing to just throw in throw in a zone on them, and then there's not going to be much that they're going to be able to do with Mobley unless you just throw him in the corner or throw him on the block and then try to space it out that way. But just from like a court, like a from like a like a court geography standpoint, I don't really understand this fit-wise on the locations of Allen and Mobley, but, you know, maybe Mobley's more of a willing and better shooter than I previously thought. But at the same time, this Cavs team really doesn't have a lot of hope for making any serious plays of winning anyway. So I think I think the Cavs are just fine with letting him develop and seeing what happens. Um, with many young players on this roster, yeah, I mean, instantly contending really isn't the main direction. With the rapid rise of the Garland Sexton backcourt of the past few seasons, I feel like this team does have potential to rise entering this year, uh, especially Sexton and Garland. Um, a young team does have its limitations, though. This Cavs really isn't ready to taste real victory, so they're going to encounter some serious trial, trials as they figure out this league. Um, my 13th spot is probably my most controversial one, and that is the Toronto Raptors. I think the Raptors are a pretty pivotal point in their timeline. After the part of uh, departure of Lowry, I think the, it kind of designated that this team's intentions is to move downwards in the standings and make a play for a top pick. The shift towards a young group means that Pascal Siak, McFrem, and Bleat, uh will have to take this leadership role as they are now the veterans with the rings that led the charge um, in 2019. So they're take, kind of taking the place of Kawhi Leonard, who had that ring before. Danny Green had that ring before, led that team to the championship. Now Van Vliet, Siakam were the last core guys from that group on the team. So they're going to have to step up in a leadership role. To be honest, I really don't see this Raptors team even making the play-in. Um, Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua uh, coming into the team. Masai Jerry's made it pretty clear that they're working towards making a young, switchable squad that could grow into an extremely versatile team later on. Um, but as of now, I think this team's going to have to look for another lottery outcome. But Pascal Siakam can somehow reascend to the All-NBA status he once had. I think perhaps the Raptors could find their way into the playoffs or the play-in tournament. But for now, I'm going to have to designate them as the, the 13th seed here. Um, second to last in the Eastern Conference, I had the Detroit Pistons. Um, Motorcade's arrival in the Detroit is just about the only notable thing in this offseason, unless Luca Garza's college resume translates. This low-pressure uh, low situation hopefully will allow this core to push and develop through their mistakes 
um, Cunningham is yet to lead another go- uh, is, is yet another lead guard to add to this pack, and I think his pairing alongside Killian Hayes might actually work if Hayes decides to become more aggressive. Uh, it's pretty clear that it's really early in the rebuild for this team, so upcoming a lot's up in the air. But this team will probably lose enough games to shoot for one of the top prospects of 2022. Um, the Pistons should be pretty pleased with this young core that they have already. Um, so more losing seasons should only excite them further until they're really able to compete. Uh, now my last seed in the Eastern Conference is the Orlando Magic. Uh, if the Magic aren't the bottom seed in the East, they're honestly going to be a disappointment to themselves. This team really doesn't have any incentive to win games, and the more they lose, the better their odds are at making a play for the future. Rumor has it, Paolo Banchero and Chet Holmgren are on Orlando's target list coming into next season. It's it's never too early to start tanking. But seriously, the Magic has some fun young uh, young players on this roster, like Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, R.J. Barrett, or R.J. Hampton, sorry, and then once Marco Foles and Jonathan Isaac return from their injuries, I think they're definitely going to show some flash of promise. Uh, and I think this team as a whole will maybe winning some big games against a, win- a great team. But even though this team has a lot of fun young guys who are great friends, it's probably not going to amount to much in the win column. Now, moving into my Western Conference standings, um... I think it's pretty obvious what I would go with here. My first seed is the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. So um, I feel like after a pretty disappointing season, uh, LeBron James's switch to the number six reflects his desperation and reinvigorated sense of urgency to win another title. After the Iron Man, being James, had another rare injury in this previous season, 36-year-old LeBron's career will not last forever. Analysts have been predicting the downfall of James for years, but as he enters his 19th season in the league, I don't think he's ready to slow down yet, to be honest. Uh, the addition of Westbrook, Russell Westbrook may raise some concerns with the Encore fit and team chemistry, but LeBron, Westbrook, and Anthony Davis have all reportedly met up to discuss how they can maximize their potential together. Uh, Davis has already decided to play more minutes at center to provide more spacing from wings for the wings, uh, and hopefully Westbrook finds a way to add value without dominating the ball and sabotaging possessions. Because if that happens, then uh, I think the Lakers have a s- serious chance at, I mean, taking it all this year. Um, uh, the complete turnaround of this roster is an experiment that. I think everybody involved is going to have to wish that pans out. The big three definitely have a great supporting cast around them, although they may be somewhat old and at risk for injury. Uh, however, this Lakers team is probably the most talented one to date with, with LeBron. And compared to their uh, conference competitors, uh, I feel like they're poised to rise to the top of the, Eastern Con- of the Western Conference and seriously contend for a title. My second team is the defending Western Conference champions, and that is the Phoenix Suns. Following their finals appearance, the Suns made clear that they're here to stay. They're a real team, and, I mean, they're ready to go. After re-signing Chris Paul and adding Alfred Payton, 
Uh, they added Landry Shaman, JaVale McGee as well. The Valley boys know that they're ready to run it back. Aside from furthering, further boys uh, bolstering the bench, I feel like these young cores are going to have to really return ready to go again, uh, making serious improvements. Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Mikhail Bridges surely will have gained a lot from this experience, and they're going to be prepared to take that next step into perennial contention. The two weight capabilities of this team, I feel like, are unmatched, uh, especially in terms of potential rather than immediate. But I think in terms of potential, this could be an amazing two-way team. Um, I mean, from this group with many nicknames, I feel like the sky's the limit for the fellas, the Valley Boys, whatever you'll call them. Booker will clearly look to step into an even greater role as a load-carrying shot creator this season as a uh, Chris Paul likely takes a step back. In the flashes of brilliance he's shown throughout his career may become more common occurrences going forward. Um, Bridges may already assume, or may also assume, an increased role as a shot creator, as it seemed pretty clear that throughout the playoffs there was a dire need for a tertiary scoring presence. Um, while Booker and Bridges may become more on-ball players, DeAndre and sheer gravity and the pain on both ends will make him transition to one of the great other game's greatest, like, stars in their role type of players. He could definitely make the all-star team even this season, but definitely going forward he could. Um, and I feel like his performance in the playoffs is pretty indicative of what's to come for Phoenix. Especially since, I mean, this was their first ever playoff appearance uh, with Booker. It's been a long time since they even made the playoffs, and this first time they made it all the way to the finals. Um, my third seed is the Utah Jazz. Uh, Donovan Mitchell was absolutely just dominant in the playoffs, um, but it wasn't quite enough to bring them over the hump at the second round. Although I would say it's definitely exciting for Jazz fans to see such a young player rise to the occasion in such a fashion, and even on an injured ankle, Mitchell caught fire in his playoff run dropping 30 bombs, 40 bombs, and whoever was willing to take that assignment that night and guard him. Um, one problem for the Jazz was Rudy Gobert. Uh, I feel like his defensive limitations became pretty apparent, which is crazy to say given the fact that he just won his third Defensive Player of the Year award this season, but he faltered time and time again on the perimeter, and he was pretty much respons- single-handedly responsible for the Terrence Mann game. Uh, While Rudy Gobert is an absolute menace in the paint, Quinn Snyder and the Jazz are going to have to make smarter arrangements if they hope to go even further than before. I know that final game against the Clippers in which they ended up losing the series, um, Quinn Snyder had some seriously questionable calls where he just continued to keep Gobert in the game regardless of how he was constantly getting burned on the perimeter. So I think... think, um, Snyder, either Snyder or Gobert are going to have to figure something out here. And I, I honestly think it's both. <laughs> but bringing back Mike Conley and then bringing in Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside, and Eric Paschal without losing much means that the Jazz are going to look to make a greater step. I don't really know about the fit of Hassan Whiteside with the team. Uh, he doesn't. He's just another non-floor spacing center, so... In lineups where they want to have five go five out, they're going to have to probably run Royce or Neal. Or, you know what, even Eric Paschal at center. But if you put Eric Paschal at center, your defense, you're pretty much exposing yourself on defense. But I think Rudy Gay will 
uh, provide another just somewhat ball handling presence for when Donovan Mitchell ends up going to the bench. So I I like the signings, but I still don't think this is an insanely complete team, especially since uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich or Boyan Bogdanovich kind of took a step back. Uh, I mean, he was pretty great in that first season he had with the Jazz, but after his surgery, he hasn't really been the same. Hopefully, he can return to where he once was, and if so, the Jazz definitely could uh, rise even further, maybe even make the conference finals this year, um, which is a place they have not been able to see. My fourth seed is the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavs had a pretty quiet offseason, uh, and they brought in just Reggie Bullock and Moses Brown and Sterling Brown. But you know what? They still have the Wonder Boy. Just 22 years old, Luka Doncic has been selected to two All-Star teams and two All-NBA teams out of his only three seasons. And with his Rookie of the Year award, he already has a well-adorned trophy case. In just three seasons, this kid has accomplished more than the vast majority of the players do of players throughout their entire careers. He's shown an extensive amount of promise, but I feel like at this point there isn't much potential to meet meet for him. He's already one of the league's best players. The next step for him is to win an MVP and a championship uh, in terms of legacy, but I feel like for the most part that relies on the work of newly hired general manager Nico Harrison. Doncic is already one of the best players this game has to offer, so Harrison's going to have to ensure that there's enough around him to compete for a championship, especially since Luka just signed his rookie extension. So I wouldn't say time's running out for the Mavericks, but, you know, they're going to have to act soon. The major question for the Mavericks at this point is how they should uh, maneuver Chris Porzingis on the roster. He's a great player, but he's clearly not the co-star that will bring a ring back to Dallas. And not only is he injury prone, but he tends to disappear when he's on the court. He's not quite the all-star he was in um, in New York. And to be honest, while a fit might be good, there's not really enough oh, enough salary flexibility on this roster to bring in somebody next to them. So Porzingis could switch into a, maybe a third best player role, where I certainly think he'd thrive more if the if the secondary focus isn't on him. I think maybe he could just uh, be a great player can find his own spots and just find ways to fit into the offense and is like a DeAndre Ayton star in your role type of guy but uh, I don't think the Mavs really have that much flexibility to really find a way to find somebody to supplement that secondary role to move Porzingis down so I feel like despite the troubles in Texas though Doncic is probably going to just get even better and spearhead an, another competitive season for Dallas here. Um, my fifth seed is going to be the Denver Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets enter the 2022 season both blessed and cursed. Their blessing is that they have the reigning MVP, and their curse is that the second best player on the roster is injured and has a torn ACL. Although the trio of um, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. might not be ready to go immediately, MPJ is going to have to take another great another great leap to make up for his teammates' absences, especially since they haven't made many major offseason moves. I think the addition of Bones Highland is highly underrated. I think he is an extremely shifty guard who, I mean, just from watching his summer league highlights, 
I feel like he's pretty electric. Um, and I think he'll, he'll definitely find his way into the Nuggets rotation as the season progresses. But I would say that this Nuggets team is still ready to make a statement, although they might not be able to make um, just anything crazy, make anything crazy happen. I think they want to at least let the league know they're still here. And I would say as Porter Jr. looks into uh, taking that next step, Aaron Gordon begins to fit in. I feel like uh, Nikola Jokic can only really do so much for this team. So the guys around him need to and will stick around in the West. Um, I think these guys are going to have to step up if um, the Nuggets are going to get that fifth seed. But I think Gordon had uh, Gordon came in at midseason. I think just a full year with these Nuggets are going to benefit him greatly. And then he'll just find his way within the team. Uh, my sixth seed is the Warriors. Uh, with the eventual return of Klay Thompson, targeted around the Christmas mark, uh, the Warriors are still looking to replicate the dynasty they had in the late 10s. But all this top three of Spl- the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green are still there. The supporting cast is completely different and much younger at that. The Warriors team screams of an unfinished roster where James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and Andrew Wiggins may all be on the trade block when a disgruntled star like Damian Lillard, Bradley Peel, maybe even Carl Anthony Towns the, down the pipeline request a trade. So as of now, Curry's unparalleled impact could take a bottom feeding team to just about the play-in mark. But the supporting cast has gotten better, so I would say they move up to the sixth seed here. But until a major trade happens in which the Warriors require a star, they might not be able to contend as they hope to. Um, my seventh seed is the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Portland once again enters a new season with a disappointing postseason and offseason. Uh, it seems like this team always decides to go with the same exact group after falling short again and again. And it's clear that Lillard's patience is beginning to run out. Uh, despite Dame's attempts at reassuring Blazers fans, I feel like those attempts are beginning to be mute points. Since this team is just about the same as the previous year, I feel like they're just going to fall around the same place, to be honest. Um, my eighth seed is the LA Clippers. With another devastating blow uh, of Kawhi Leonard tearing his ACL. The Clippers may honestly have lost all hope of making another trip to the conference finals this year. Um, General manager Michael Winger, Brown and Justice Winslow, Ali Ron, Eric Bledsoe, Keon Johnson, Jason Preston, and BJ Boston to weather the storm. But although these guys are all somewhat playmaking shot creator types, I don't think it's going to be enough to really supplement uh, what an all-time great player in Kawhi Leonard had even if any of them really begin to step up and really improve. But I think, I think, I think even without Leonard, this team managed to stay afloat. Paul George had an epic playoff run without Kawhi for a decent period for about a series and a half. So his performance will definitely have to carry over for this Clippers team to even escape the playing tournament, but I definitely think they'll be there. Um, my ninth seed is the New Orleans Pelicans. After exchanging starting centers with the team directly below them, uh, being the Memphis Grizzlies, the Pelicans brought in a lot of new faces for this upcoming season. Devontae Graham, Jonas Valanciunas, Thomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple, Trey Murphy, and Herbert Jones will all put on New Jersey this fall. David Griffin and the Pelicans have severely struggled to put uh, to immediately put a winning team around Zion. 
who's been quietly pressuring the franchise since his arrival. Uh, it's rumored that his parents don't want him to be in New Orleans. Um, so I feel like parents are somewhat speaking through him in a little hardball type way, just somewhat quietly. And so I think Zion might be on his way out as soon as he gets the chance. Um, hopefully for Griffin, David Griffin, though, uh, these new faces will contribute to a winning program in New Orleans. Some of them, I feel like on paper, Zion should mesh well with uh, his front court pairing because Valanciunas is deep range. And willingness to shoot three should complement Zion's just kind of immense paint presence and gravity. But this team still lacks a defensive presence and overall skill and just in general. So I think Zion's going to have to end another season early. My 10th seed is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I think this team is pretty much just fortunate that, the, that they have John Morant. He's shown signs of being able to carry teams like he did in the playoffs. Um, I feel like without him, they're going to be... If John Morant wasn't on this Grizzlies team, they would be the last team on the list. They would be the bottom seed. But um, Ja can be hopeful for the future of this team with Jaron Jackson coming back and Zaire Williams coming in the mix. But I think in the immediate term, it appears that the Grizzlies took a step back. They have a great group of young role players who may grow into something more, like Xavier Tillman, uh, Brandon Clark. But... uh, Desmond Bain, but to make it to that next tier of teams, they're going to have to add some more young talent with potential of sur- surging into a star player. So I, I feel like as from now, we can enjoy these John Moran highlights, but I don't really know what else we can enjoy in Memphis. Um, my 11th seed is the Kings, who did not quite do much this offseason, apart from adding Davion Mitchell. Uh, they brought in Tristan Thompson. I mean, if that's something awesome. I think this team definitely could use work. The Kings made a great effort to push themselves into the play-in at the end of last season, and I feel like they're just barely going to miss the dance before the dance again. Uh, the Kings are a brilliant young point guard in De'Aaron Fox, similar to John Morant, but there isn't quite much else to be excited for about this team other than their guard rotation. Um, after failing to get rid of Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley Jr., it seems pretty plausible that general manager Monty McNair We'll continue to explore other options for these players. I mean, Marvin Bagley Jr.'s father has requested a trade for Bagley. Bagley's like tweets saying, get Bagley out of Sacramento. It seems like a pretty toxic situation for everybody involved. So um, I feel like since both have openly expressed their discontent with the team, I feel like their elongated stay in sack time is both damaging and awkward. I think until these two are moved, the Kings can't really move on and grow further. So if both find new homes, I would say the Kings are mediocre at best. If they don't find new homes, this Kings team is going to be another disaster, much like the 12th seed uh, being the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, just like the Kings, this Timberwolves team has made minimal moves, and those minimal moves have just only been around the margins this offseason, which is pretty surprising given their lack of success and uh, abundance of urgency seems pretty inevitable that at some point things are going to come crashing down for this group. I feel like at any moment now, Carl Towns can request a trade, or even the team can move to Seattle. Who, like, to be honest, who really knows it's around the corner for this team? First overall pick, Anthony Edwards found his stride later on into the year and showed great promise, but he's five years younger than the franchise centerpiece. Towns has yet to taste any real spice or, I mean, any hint of winning. 
So the Wolves are pretty much running out of time, in my opinion, to convince him to stay. Uh, with a new ownership taking over, the typical move here is to make bad decisions uh, to try to make an immediate playoff push, but that could end up faring even worse uh, for the Wolves in the future. I feel like this team's in a pretty big mess, so to be honest, just here's hoping they'll figure it out. Um, my 13th seed is the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs are unfortunately going to be one of the most forgettable teams in the NBA after dealing with Mario Rosen. Is now that the star players are gone, all that's left is a mismanaged group of young defensive-minded players and decent bit players. The only real way to describe this team is just they're just solid, and I feel like that encompasses the entirety of the roster. Maybe the Spurs will look to move some of their great role players who would likely add more value to a contending team, uh, but the Spurs make midseason trades about like once per decade. It seems like they made a midseason trade this year, and it was extremely minimal. It was just uh, moving somebody off for cash considerations. But in the last time they made a midseason trade was in the 13-14 season, believe it or not. So, I mean, yeah, this team barely makes trades. And once they have a roster, they're pretty much set up with it. So to me, it seems like Thad Young, Doug McDermott are going to just be pushing for the play and as these many young guards fight for minutes. Um, my 14th seed is the Houston Rockets. Uh, I feel like the Rockets had an amazing draft class, bringing in four first-round picks in Jalen Green, Alperin Sangoon, Usman Garuba, and Josh Christopher. After dealing away James Harden of the Nets, this team made it pretty clear that they hope to rebuild and look towards the future. But uh, they still have some young veterans, or some veterans taking up a lot of their allotted salary, which could both be a good and bad thing, I feel like. Uh, but John Wall and Eric Gordon will be moved if possible. But if not, I don't think Raphael Stone will be too worried. Um, the Rockets can still lose a lot of games if Wall and Gordon are playing big minutes, so I feel like everything will sort itself out in the end. Now, um, my last team uh, is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, over the next six years, the Thunder have 32 draft picks to work with. Uh, Sam Presti's master plan of creating a rest stop for the misfits of the NBA means that they can pretty much charge a unique price for their unique service. General Manager Sam Presti has done everything in his power to amass as many high draft picks as possible in a hinky-esque maneuver. And uh, he's demonstrated that he's not afraid of tanking. So at the bottom of the West sit the Thunder, who may end up getting fined, to be honest, for this blatant intentional losing. Every team, I feel like, has their calendars marked for the day they get to vacation in Oklahoma, because a matchup against the Thunder is pretty much a formality at this point. Um, my finals prediction is the Lakers beating the Nets. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's... Um, yeah, my finals prediction is the Nets beating the Lakers in seven games where Durant wins finals MVP. Um, so as the top squad in each conference, I have the Nets and the Lakers who would both be prepared to make each other uh, make a strong, case, a strong chase for the title. I would give the edge to the Nets here because of their sheer offensive firepower. The same goes if defense wins championships, but I mean... How can you play effective defense against three of the best isolation players the game has ever seen? Durant was absolutely unstoppable in the 2021 playoffs. I mean, this is the guy who put up 47 points, 17 rebounds, and 10 assists in a single game. 
And I mean, when a superstar pals return to the court, they are going to be a serious, serious, serious force to be reckoned with if they're not already. Uh, I don't think the Lakers would go down without a fight, though, and they'll definitely give the Nets a hard time in the finals. But I think it's pretty easy to envision a closely contested series in which Durant takes over in Game 7 and the beef between him and Russell Westbrook is reunited. Um, so just a little bonus moving on to other predictions. Um, my my bonus is going to be the uh, um, just award predictions. So we're going to do MVP, uh, Defense Player of the Year, Most Improved, Rookie of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, Coach of the Year, and then Executive of the Year. But before we do that, let's take a little break. All right, we are back from the break, moving on to our predicted awards. So for the MVP, uh, we have Kevin Durant. Durant's incredible playoff and Olympics run have made his name at the forefront of the recency bias territory, but I believe he will live up to that bias. The MVP award is largely based on narrative, and with the exemplary summer that he did have, his story should continue on into the regular season. Durant is one of the greatest players in the game's history, and another MVP performance is really not out of the realm of possibility. Assuming that Harden and Irving both missed time from knick-knack injuries, other reasons, what have you, as uh, they so often do, Durant could easily carry the load in the regular season, just as he did in the playoffs. And then not only that, I feel like Harden's ringless hand will motivate this team even further to snatch that first seed in dominating fashion. So with the pressures of playing on a super team, Kevin Durant should erupt this season for another MVP performance and look towards his third championship ring. Uh, defense Player of the Year, I have DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton earned his nickname Dominating for his beastly performance in, pain, in the paint on both ends, and his play only escalated in the playoffs. Ayton ranked in the top percentile for left block post-defense in the postseason, among other categories, and in the top 25% for defense in general. After losing six games to the Bucks in the finals, at age 23, Ayton should only be more hungry to step up his game. And after being at the precipice of a championship, he should know that he has to step up once again to make the Suns a lasting contender. With his excellent showing against the top big men of the league, DeAndre Ayton will likely enter the season ready to go and dominate defensively. My most improved player is Michael Porter Jr. Uh, with the absence of Jamal Murray, there's going to be at least 20, point, 20 extra points up for grabs on this Nuggets team. And Michael Porter Jr. is in the perfect position to scoop up at least some of those. Uh, Porter Jr.'s production shot up in his second season, going from just 9 points per game to 19, and he could definitely further improve and become an all-star this season. As a hyper-efficient and non-controlling, non-ball-controlling scorer, uh, I think Michael Porter Jr. can easily slide into a much greater role this season, and as Nikola Jokic acts as an offensive hub in Denver, I think Porter can, scra- uh, can uh, snatch this most per player award by adding more desperately needed shot creation to his arsenal, both on and off the ball. So I think just um, I think as one of the uh, as a very efficient shooter on high volume, Jokic will probably look more towards him than he ever has before. Now that Jamal Murray won't be there to supplement, uh, won't be there to give some secondary shot creation. My rookie of the year is Jalen Suggs. Um, after falling to the Magic with the fifth overall pick in the draft, Suggs will be entering a situation where the pressure is extremely low. Uh, Jalen's going to be joining a few of his friends on the Magic. Um, 
in his quarterback mentality will allow him to take an immediate leadership role with the group. Um, in his lone season with Gonzaga, he scored over 14.5 points, uh, five and a half rebounds, and four and a half assists per game. And so I feel like with Marco Foles being out torn ACL for likely at least the first few games, if not first 10 to 20 games of the season, uh, Suggs can establish himself as a go-to scorer early on. It's definitely a hot take to have Suggs here with great, other great prospects like Kate Cunningham and Jalen Green taking on similar roles as rookies. But um, with as many longtime friends on the team, I feel like the other players are going to really rally around Jalen for this award. Uh, my sixth man of the year prediction is Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Clarkson won the award last season, and he found his way uh, with the Jazz after being handed the keys to the offense once Mitchell is on the bench. I feel like, like many great six men, um, Clarkson has an impressive scoring ability, and he averaged just over 18 or 18.4 points per game in tw- only 26 minutes. And I feel like that really shows his role as a spark plug. Nothing major has changed with this Jazz roster, and uh, I feel like once somebody wins that six-man-of-the-year award, they'll typically win it again. So I anticipate Clarkson's going to follow in the footsteps of Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams here, who each won the award three times. Uh, my coach of the year is Monty Williams. Uh, Monty has gained recognition as one of the main figures in the Suns' finals run, and uh, his leadership and tactical approach greatly benefits the Suns. Williams has an amazing reputation of being a classy, intelligent coach, and he's loved by fans and media members alike. Uh, Since the media votes for the the end-of-the-season awards, I feel like they could easily shift the narrative to be that Williams is one of the best coaches in the league if the Suns continue to win games. He's already one of the league's best coaches, and if the media pushes his narrative, then I feel like the award's all his. Um, My executive of the year is Rob Palenka. As the man with the busiest offseason, Palenka's made move after move once the Lakers fell out of the first round. The Lakers dropped nearly their entire roster, but brought in many great players who have both the ability and the hunger to win an NBA championship. To combat the Nets' big three, Palenka brought in a, a great third man of his own, and um, Russell Westbrook, while adding interchangeable wings like Trevor Ariza, Ken Bazemore, and Wayne Ellington to fill in the gaps. For the second unit, Palenka found diamonds in the rough with Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk likely will all feel a burning desire to prove themselves and learn large, large salaries on their next contract. They both didn't receive a rookie extension, and they both took minimum contracts with these new teams. So I think they're definitely going to have to prove themselves here, and I think they know that if they want to earn uh, generational wealth for themselves and their family. And then I think to mentor those young guys, Plinka found, refound Dwight Howard and uh, Carmelo Anthony. And then... With this complete offseason overall, Polinka shades a roster with a clear sense of hunger, pride, and excitement that I think will propel him to the top of the league, and I think the media will not let his efforts go unnoticed. So those are my off-season, uh, those are my preseason predictions. If you have any thoughts, comments, disagreements, agreements, feel free to let me know at nbasketballnews at gmail.com, as always. And... Um, just want to say thank you once again for taking the time to listen. And, uh, yeah, that'll be it for this episode of the Rage Extender Podcast. We'll see you all very soon.